Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. This week, international media teams are going to be descending on campaign rallies and press events all over Taiwan to give the world a glimpse of one of Asia's newest democracies in action. Now, over the past couple of days, I've been speaking to some of those foreign correspondents to get to know the people who are going to be determining how this thing gets covered. And today in the show, we're going to be bringing you bits and pieces of those conversations. Now, just to be clear, a lot of the reporters in town for this election are just here for a week or two, and then they're going to be returning to their usual beats, you know, wherever that might be. The people we're going to be speaking with today have lived and worked in Taiwan for years. This is their beat, and they do know it well. So these are the uh, Taiwan old hands, so to speak, that uh, we're going to be hearing from today. I hope they don't mind me calling them that. Lots of them to get to, so uh, let's get cracking. First up, we've got a U.S. expat who's going to be writing about the election for the L.A. Times, uh, the Christian Science Monitor, and the Voice of America. My name is Ralph Jennings. I'm a contract reporter based in Taipei. This will be his third time covering an election here in Taiwan. And he says this one may get just a little bit more media attention than those he's covered before because of the widely held expectation that the presidency is going to trade hands to the DPP. Meaning that the China policy may change and this could be heralding new relations with China and maybe a lot of other new things. So a little more interest, yes, but exactly whom is that interest coming from? Well, for a foreign correspondent, that can be a tricky question to answer because it can be hard to pin down just who your audience is. In order to conceptualize it, I try to think of somebody who I don't know and won't ever meet, but who has a passing interest in Taiwan. They, they're concerned about Asia. They're concerned about China as a neighbor to all of us. And they want to know the, the equation between China and Taiwan. And they want stuff kind of fed to them wholesale. They don't want too much minutia and too many details. They want to know what happens and then how, why it matters. So obviously for a foreign correspondent, you've got to think about your audience a little bit differently than your typical reporter does. But the real difference is in the work itself. The actual act of going out and reporting in a country that you did not grow up in. For example, Ralph told me that even though he's considered a foreigner here in Taiwan... It's actually much easier to get close to the action in Taiwan politics than it was when he reported in the U.S. And that's for a very simple reason. He says the U.S. government is just too big to really get a handle on. It's hard to personalize a story. It's hard to see things up close unless you happen to be in Washington, which I never was. Local elections in the U.S. can be far more interesting if you cover something at the really granular level, you know, a city of 4,000 people or even a city of 500,000 people. You can meet the candidates, you can interview them, you can talk to a lot of voters, you can explore the issues, you can go see things and signs of issues that you're covering, and it's all very real, much like Taiwan is. Mm. It almost feel even national politics in Taiwan almost feel uh, like local politics in a way, more up sure. close and personal. It does, yeah. Taiwan's population is still smaller than the state of California, right. where I was covering news in the states. Once again, we've been speaking so far with Ralph Jennings. The next reporter we're going to meet today also likes her politics up close and personal. But there's something else that keeps her interested in Taiwan's particular brand of electioneering. For me, it's all the hype and the energy. 
That's Jane Ricards. She's the Taiwan correspondent for The Economist and also an Australian expat. I like walking around with um, the campaign parades and things like that and just experiencing all the the energy and like for example when I was covering the municipal elections last year and I was in Taichung and I was walking around with Lin Jialong's procession through this sort of working class sort of district on the very outskirts of Taichung and they're releasing firecrackers and things like that it's it's kind of like a bolt of energy or sort of recharges you so I, was, I sort of like that and uh, so so this kind of energy uh, that you see at these elections do you do you think that uh, the ex- that would be really different if you were say back in Australia covering an election there do you, do you, do you think that uh, it, it's a totally different ball game here I think it's a totally different ball game but I'd qualify that by saying I haven't been a reporter in Australia for at least 11 years and I've never covered an election in Australia but um yes I think it's a completely different ball game it's especially all the street activities like sort of going through the streets and releasing firecrackers you obviously wouldn't see Australian politicians do that um I think there's Taiwan's a very youthful democracy and I think that really comes through in all the campaign activities um Australia's been a democracy much longer and it's got very strong and stable institutions and um people just don't get fired up as much I mean Australian apathy to politics is just famous you know sort of laconic who gives a whatever so yeah so um you can really this is a very young democracy and a lot of zeal for politics and I think that got an extra burst of momentum with the sunflower movement and you can see a lot of young activists are running for election like with the new power party Huang Guochang was a leader in this with the sunflower movement he's heading the new power party and then um you have young activists running with the green party SDP coalition and um yeah there's a zest for politics which is sort of expressed quite a lot in activities which you don't sort of see so much in Australia moving right along to the final correspondent we're going to be speaking with today Klaus Bardenhagen, he's a freelance reporter here in Taiwan for a number of German-language media outlets. Now, just like Jane, Klaus has also noticed a big difference between what elections look like here and what they look like back home in Germany. When I spoke with him, he told me that maybe the biggest difference is that the emotions just seem to run a little bit higher here in Taiwan politics. Looking back on the 2012 election, he told me he got a real sense for just how much higher when he attended a KMT campaign rally about a week before the party would once again win the presidency. And um, everybody was already pretty happy and enthusiastic and and optimistic there. And then I went over just a few hundred meters uh, over to uh, Linse and Beilu and there the DPP had their event and and Tsai Ing-wen gave a speech and um, Everybody was basically in tears over there, so there was even an added level of emotional emotionalism, and um, I, it was just pretty hard for me to to imagine anything similar like that happening happening in Germany. Looking back, also back in 2012, now the very night before the election, Klaus attended the campaign rally for Tsai Ing-wen, at which former President Lee Dong Hui, then in his late 80s paid a surprise visit. And um, he started endorsing Tsai Ing-wen and that really had the whole stadium in tears and then he ended his speech with, uh, well, I'm leaving now, I have to go now, but I leave Taiwan to you. And, um, you know, this this kind of emotional pathos and um, appeal and, and the way that people are going with it in the audience, uh, that is really that is really pretty uniquely Taiwanese, I think. So, so, so generally, the thing that really takes you 
about Taiwan is just the the uh, I, I guess I would almost say the the pitch of the election or the the uh, the emotional relevance. Yeah, right. The um, importance that people attach to it, um, rationally as well as emotionally, that's really something that makes politics in Taiwan stand out. So, so far, we've really just been taking a look at the actual work that these reporters are going to be doing. But what about the stories they're going to be telling? I asked Jane to lay out for me what she thinks her audience is going to be interested in. The international interest is always about cross-strait relations. And will there be more cross-strait instability with the Tsai government? And another thing we were talking about is would there be instability if the LY was dominated by the KMT and um, there was a DPP administration because there could be conflict there. But basically, um, an international audience, the main thing that the editors think the international audience wants to know is just stability. And then after that, too, it's true that Taiwan's one of Asia's feistiest democracies, if not one of the world's feistiest democracies. So people are also interested in democratic achievements, which are really quite astounding. So they're interested in that, too. And then there's also the really quirky element, like, for example, White Wolf, the ex-triad boss, is running for the legislature as is a heavy metal guitarist, and then Warakaishi, you know, the former Tiananmen Square dissident, is also running. I mean, all those really quirky things are also really interesting, but I'd say the main thing people want to know about is cross-strait stability because Taiwan is a global flashpoint. As Jane says, that cross-strait global flashpoint angle... That is where the international focus is pointed. So much so that sometimes you get the sense that it can crowd out other stories going on in Taiwan. You know, stuff that is going to matter here in Taiwan come election day, especially to voters, but might not make quite as much sense to an international audience. I asked Ralph if that cross-rate focus ever makes it difficult to tell all the stories that he'd like to get to. It does, to be honest. Um, the, the other stories that are being told are the economy. As you probably know, Taiwan is now technically in recession, and export orders have been declining since April of last year. Uh, people are aware that the world also pays attention to Taiwan because it recognizes this as a, a source of uh, exports, especially for high tech. So to the extent that the economy factors into the election, we will cover that angle as well. The only other angle that I see is the gender issue. Well, not really an issue, but the factor that we may have a first female president. There still aren't that many female leaders in the world, although there are, certainly are some. So that story will be told. I'm not sure how well you could tell it. There's a, a gee whiz angle there, but does gender really affect how somebody leaves the country? I, I don't know. But I'm sure some reporters out there will, will make a run for it and see what they can do. If you could pitch to your readers one narrative out of this campaign that you wish that they could know more about, but you think that you know it would be just too difficult to carry in the international press, uh, what would that be? I would say that one thing that it's it's hard to tell, but it could be interesting if done right, would be the um, you know how fast Taiwan's democracy changes. We're barely looking at thirty years, and, and things have come a long way. You look at the media, you look at how why people vote for who they vote for, you look at the the role of vote buying and corruption in elections. You look at the you know the, the toning down of, of in your face campaigning compared to social media. Um, and you could make the case, you know, the counter case that these things happen in democracies everywhere as they as they age. However, Taiwan has um, 
has picked it up pretty fast. It's a small island population-wise, so things tend to have a, you know, things move more quickly. Um, and you could even track this, you know, maturing of democracy to the society as a whole, which is changing quickly. You know, there's still older people remember being poor, and they, they their behavior and their habits, their political habits reflect that memory, whereas you have people who are in their 20s now who don't have a, a concept of that, and they're more willing to kind of take more risks politically, perhaps, than their elders would be. When I spoke with Klaus, meanwhile, he also emphasized some of the recent social changes here in Taiwan as being really key to understanding this election, and uh, in particular, why we are more than likely about to witness big gains for the DPP. The reason that we're seeing this happening, which we did not expect four years ago, is that the Taiwan's civil civil society has really been shaken up and um, awoken by the social movements that happened here, of which the Sunflower Movement, this parliament occupation, was only the pinnacle. There was a lot going on before that. So one of the important stories for me would be to say that a long-time feeling of dissatisfaction with the government and um, social unrest now is leading to political change. Now, of course, all of this is by no means to suggest that the cross-strait angle doesn't matter. In fact, Jane told me that sussing out exactly what this election is going to mean for cross-strait relations is absolutely key. And she also made the case to me that helping her audience understand this particular angle won't just be important for, well, you know, her audience. It's also going to be important for Taiwan as well. What's probably most alarming about the Taiwan, the situation in the Taiwan Strait is misreporting. In Australia, um, we have some analysts who sort of say that, you know, um, this, this election's very scary because um, the, the main thrust of their argument is that the US and China could easily go to war and things like that. And um, what's really striking about living here in Taiwan is just actually how peaceful things are. And um, so I think that reporting the cross-strait situation accurately is actually a very good role for a correspondent to play because um, I think that if there's sort of alarmist stories about the US and um, China going to war, then I think Taiwan is ultimately the loser. So some very important questions for these correspondents to be working on answering during this election. Lots to be untangled. But one thing that they will have going for them is that Taiwan is actually quite a receptive place for foreign media. Being a foreigner can complicate things, of course, especially when you're trying to book those interviews. But it can also open some doors. Here's how Klaus puts it. Sometimes it's harder for you because you are not considered to be as important and sometimes... It's easier because um, you, it's considered more special and more welcome that foreign media, European media, are interested in what's happening here. Now, the flip side here as well is that reporters do have a habit of writing down just about everything. And as Ralph recounts, one KMT official got a reminder of that back in 2014, right after those fateful local elections. They were just blown away by how how badly they lost in those elections. And I remember a guy with uh, the party coming up to me and saying, are you going to report all this for the rest of the world? And I said, well, yeah, that's my job. And he said, even Jinman, even the fact that we lost Jinman, little tiny Jinman, you're going to put that in your story? He's like, well, yeah, we got to, you know, mention the names of these places too. And he had a pretty good sense of humor, but he was also, 
disappointed. It's his job to take care of the party, and he'd work pretty hard for whatever they got that year. Even Jeanman. So, all politicians out there, take note. Whatever you get this year, well, the world is going to know that story. And the folks that we spoke with today, they're going to do their part to make sure that story gets told right. Big thank you to Ralph Jennings, Jane Ricards, and Klaus Bardenhagen for speaking to me. Look for their bylines as the election gets rolling. Between the three of them, probably will not have to look too hard. As always, we'd love to hear from everybody out there. You can let me know what you thought of today's show or tell me what part of this election you wish was getting more coverage. Shoot me an email, keith at icrt.com.tw or tweet at Keith Menconi. That is it for today. Thanks for listening. For ICRT one more time, I'm Keith Menconi.